Welcome to the Reconcile Community Church podcast. We hope and pray that the resources that will be shared on here would be a blessing to you. If you want more information or to support our church financially as we do the work in the beautiful Queen City of Cincinnati, Ohio, you can find more information about that at www.reconcilecincy.org. Be blessed. We're going to call a little bit of an audible this morning. I want to jump right into our text to give us on the, on the back end time to pray and time to discuss. Uh, and so for all of you who are watching online and even for those of you who are here in person, our application questions, sermon outline and all that stuff is on our website and on our app as well. Um, but I want to make sure we give space at the tail end to discuss some of the things that will be shared today, because I think that this is a particular part of passage of scripture uh, that is necessary for us to walk through. Um, what will happen in the next couple of weeks is it almost feels as if Paul takes um, a bit of a small detour within the sec- in the second Timothy to really address this idea of false teachers. Uh, he's really going to spend time with us addressing how to um, our conduct and our posture towards false teachers. Um, And he's talking to, in his context, I want to give us context before we jump into this passage. Remember that Paul is writing to a pastor over the Lord's church. But that does not mean that you and I are absolved from the very commands that he gives to Timothy. I want to make sure that this is clear on the onset because there's going to be language that Paul is sharing with Timothy that's going to seem like, Oh, that sounds like that's more pastoral. Sure, there are some things that he's sharing because Paul, as Timothy is a pastor. And one of the jobs of a pastor is to ward off false teaching, is to literally protect the flock from false ideologies. But hear me, Christian, both online and in this room, you too have a responsibility to guard your minds as well from false teaching because it is very prevalent. <laughs> And it is very pervasive. Is that the word pervasive? There we go. I got it. Sounds about right. Um, That's happening within our culture. And so, again, if it sounds like I'm a little more sober minded today, I may not make as many jokes today because this is very serious. And I want to make sure that we, with as much precision as possible, can navigate what Paul is sharing with Timothy because it feels as if he's speaking to us directly today. And so here is what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26 say. And again, this is the first part in what will be a mini-series within a series on how to deal with false teachers. This is what he says uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. He says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Fletus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. 
Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the name on the Lord from a pure heart. Reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be uh, must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Very word of God. Amen. Heavy lifting this morning. Heavy lifting this morning. So we're, we're living in a day and time where there are so many warring thoughts and ideologies being presented to people today. We, we are beginning to see the divisiveness, if we have not already, we're beginning to see this divisiveness uh, that these ideologies are causing in our communities uh, and even within our churches. And so some of these ideologies, these false ideologies that are creeping into society and the church that are causing divisiveness are things like Christian nationalism. Lately this week, we've been introduced to this idea of black Hebrew Israelite thought. Hyperliberalism and fundamentalism are creeping into the church as well, and it's causing many in our body to fight against one another. These false teachings in and of themselves seem like they are novel, like they are new. But but here is the reality that there's nothing really new under the sun. That, that this has been the play from the enemy all along, that he always uses false teachings as a Trojan horse that he presents to the church as a way to divide and destroy the church. And this has been happening for centuries, that there have been false teaching that will come up that denies the divinity of Jesus, that denies the veracity of scripture, that denies the essence of who God is, that denies the work of the church, that denies the end times. There are so many different false ideologies that have tried to creep into the church. And it has come through the vantage point of people who can speak real good and who can uh, befriend you really well and be able to share with you these half-truths. This has been a Trojan horse that has happened for centuries. This does not shock me, and it shouldn't shock you, that we are in living in a day where we're seeing these teachings where we're like, man, that just don't sound right, though. But people are eating it up. This idea of false teaching should not throw you off. It doesn't surprise me that this is happening. But what does surprise me is how unprepared our churches are to defend themselves from it. It has been so sad watching this week churches and believers take the bait of a lot of these ideologies that are being thrown out and in the essence we are stepping out and going down rabbit trails that are leading us into places and spaces that we are not familiar with and it's causing us to respond in certain ways that are unbefitting to the christian life just this week i was watching everyone who's been going through and navigating these whole uh these conundrums that we see in our society and I'm watching how 
Christians are responding to these false ideologies. It's not just so much that you need to try to win an argument that is that is alarming, but it's the way that we are going about addressing these circumstances and situations that's breaking my heart. We're taking the bait. Some are believing the lies that these ideologies are presenting, which points to the reality that we've been doing too much encouraging and low preaching and not teaching that um, and not enough teaching to help us understand how to defend our faith. We know how to live our best life now, but we can't defend our faith. We can tell you seven steps on how to you know, live a hopeful life or how to have a great relationship, but we don't know how to stand up against this idea that people are saying that Jesus is for some people and not others. We're, 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 we know how to navigate the, the complexities of how to get our business to thrive. But when we start to see people begin to tell us that the scriptures are clear, that there are ways in which we are to work to get into God's good graces, we don't know how to argue against it. These false ideologies have crept in and people are beginning to believe it. There are people who literally have given up on their faith because they have agreed with false, false notions that Christianity is a white man's religion. Because they are seeing how believers are navigating the whole issues with Kanye and Kyrie Irving. We can say amen or we can say ouch. False ideologies have crept in and there are some of us who believe the lies, but then there are some of us who are so flustered and unprepared that we end up responding with such harshness and such venom that we step out of our character and it literally hurts our witnesses to the communities in which we serve. I mean, just this week, again, I watched us deal with Brett Favre drama. Twitter with Elon Musk, even more nonsense with Christian nationalistic rhetoric that's coming out. And instead of being able to navigate the waters in a Christ-like manner, some of us have jettisoned our faith to, to believe the lies that are being presented. And some have gotten so far off of the beaten path that, man, even though we're trying to win an argument, we have literally left fruitful Christian work aside to try to win an argument that won't lead to much fruit being bore. Now, to be fair, to be fair, some of these things anger me. They do. Some of the ways that we respond, do we respond to certain components of these false ideologies? Absolutely. But what you and I must understand is that we must be, be able to uh, differentiate and be able to navigate the delicate dance of responding to things that don't align with our Christian purview with some degree of Christ-likeness. And the same thing was happening with Timothy in Ephesus. False teachers were in the midst and they were causing a bunch of turmoil and Timothy had to address them. But Paul wanted to make it clear to Timothy that you respond to the noise and the squeaky wheels in your church a certain type of way. You cannot just come at these false teachers any kind of way. You have to know how to navigate these individuals. You need to know how to uh, deal with this reality. And so here's the big idea for this particular text. Paul wanted Timothy to understand that his conduct and his interaction with false teachers mattered greatly for kingdom advancement. 
This is the big idea of the text. I'll give it to you one more time. It's that Paul wanted Timothy to understand that his conduct and interaction with false teachers mattered greatly for the kingdom, for kingdom advancement. And so there are three kind of movements here that I want to run through with some sub points here. Again, I want to encourage you to check out my outline on on us uh, on. Oh, OK, got you. You got it on here uh, to check out my outline so that you don't get lost in a translation, because there are multiple sub points under all of this, because Paul is doing a lot of legwork here. But the first thing that he tells Timothy in this is that I need you to stay focused and don't take the bait. This is the first way he's saying, if you're going to navigate this reality with false teachers, I need you to stay focused don't take the bait. This is crucial for us as we're navigating individuals in, in these false ideologies. We have to come into the reality that there is, there is an opportunity for you to get off track, to get you focused in the minute minutiae of the details. There's a way that false teachers can get you off of the main thing. And so Paul shares this to Timothy in these verses in 14 through 19. Again, I'm going to just have to do some heavy lifting to try to break down some of these things to help us understand it. In verses 14 through 15, he says this. In verses 14 and 15, he says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Listen to verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself to God as an approved one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Here's the first thing that he wants them to understand within this idea of being staying focused and not taking the bait. The first thing that he needs them to see underneath this in verse 14 and 15 is this reality. Focus on being a real thing. Focus on being a real thing. When you are coming against someone who is teaching stuff that is contrary to the Christian walk, but they're telling you that they are Christians, one of the ways that you can counteract a false teacher is by you actually following the Lord. You being focused on being an authentic representative of the kingdom of God. I know this seems backwards. I'm, I'm going to get to this reality that we're going to have to know the book. You're going to have to know the book. Yes. But the way you show up matters. The way you show up, it matters. In fact, Paul is going to go on and on and on about this from chapter 2, verse 14, all the way to chapter 3, verse 9. He's going to talk about this at length when he's talking about dealing with false teachers. Because the reality is, usually when we're dealing with false teachers, there's a crowd around. So you're, the way you show up matters. What are you to focus on when you are dealing? You need to first make sure that you yourself are following after the Lord. He tells him he wants him to be a faithful servant of the Lord. Rather than spending his time trying to fight these false teachers on their turf, he wants them to be invited to fight on his turf. And this is important because we understand that the scriptures have power. And we, we have to be knowers of our time, right? The, the, the children of Issachar knew the times of the day and they were able to be faithful and fruitful. That is true. So on one end, as I've told you, you need to, you got to have your Bible and your newspaper in your hand. That's what theologian Karl Barr said, that you should be knowledgeable of what's happening around you, but it can't be at the expense of your rootedness in the scriptures. You got to know what the book says and you got to know what it means and how to live this out. You got to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And what a false teacher will want you to do is to get your eyes off of the scriptures. 
to get you to act in a certain way that would that would literally bankrupt your um, argumentation because you are acting differently than what you actually believe. This is making sense. We're gonna make sure this makes sense. He wants them to present themselves as an as a as an accurate representative. And the way that you become an accurate representative of the kingdom of God is to know what the kingdom of God is and what it says, and then you live that out. We got to be students of the book. It's important. In fact, you've probably heard this illustration a hundred times and maybe not even in a church, but you know that um, government agents and other people who work in the counterfeit division, they are so good at detecting fakes, not because they spend so much time studying what fake looks like, but they are good at identifying what is authentic because they spend a lion's share of their time getting so acquainted with what is real. That's why they can pick out fake money and sometimes we can't because they both look the same, but because they've been so focused on the authentic notes, they know exactly what's real. Why? Because they, they, they know the difference in the touch, the texture. They know the difference of the makeup of the fabric because it's not actually paper, it's fabric. They know the different intricacies. That's why they can put lights up and they know where to put the light up at and they know where the different reflections are. They know what those different numbers mean and all these things. They get so acquainted with the real that when a fake comes, they can just be like, that ain't it. And this is what Paul is trying to get Timothy to understand. If you're going to deal with people who think something totally different than you, and they're going to share lies in this community, within this church, this is what he's saying. But the way that people will be able to know the difference is that you would live in such a way that would be so radically different that people would be like, I'm going to rock with that one because he actually lines up with what he's saying. It matters. While you trying to focus on what nuances in that broken theology to try to, um, to debunk them, he's like, know the scriptures well enough so that when they do present it, you can knock it back down. And it lines up with your life that you're living. But then verse 16, he says this. He says, don't go down the rabbit trails with the false teachers. Verse 16 says this. Verse 16 says this. Avoid irreverent and empty speech since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. He says, don't go down the rabbit trails with false teachers. See, what Paul is trying to get Timothy to understand is the importance of tact, maturity, and poise. Hear me, brothers and sisters. Not every conversation needs to end with you winning the argument. Sometimes we give the enemy an audience when what we should be doing is starving him out. You ever heard that adage that a, a lie travels two times fast before a, a lie, before the truth can, you know, make it one lap around? The reason why that is true is because we give lies a platform. The job of the Christian is to defend the faith. It ain't never say that you're supposed to win the argument. Sometimes the only thing that you are supposed to do when you are faced with that is to present the gospel truth to be able to debunk the errors, state the case, and walk away. But sometimes we allow our pride to keep us in spaces too long. And we may share the truth, but because we have taken the bait and we have constantly been still there for a while, it can lead us to acting out in bad ways. 
I know this seems like this is like counterintuitive, but this is what this is the same things that Timothy was going through that Paul had to address. We must be able to defend our faith, but we have to do that with discernment, knowing that the enemy would love nothing more than to get us off the beaten path so that we would ruin our witness while trying to win an argument. And this has happened before. In fact, as Paul would have been writing 1 Timothy, there was actually something happening over where Titus was at as well, where he was dealing with something just like this, where there were false teachers who were literally sitting in the pews of the churches. This ain't just like you going out on the store and you see the, you know, uh, Hebrew Israelites in their purple and gold out on the corner. No, these were members within the church that were like known heretics that were like sitting in the pews trying to argue with the pastor as he's preaching. This is not nothing new. Look at what uh, Paul tells Titus. He says this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. Verse nine, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject divisive person, uh, reject a divisive person after a first or second warning, knowing that such a person is perverted and sins being self-condemned. My bad. Anyways, it's on there, but that's. Titus chapter three, verse eight through 11. He, he's sharing this reality that we do not we do ourselves a disservice when we go down these rabbit trails, when we be, allow ourselves to get off of the beaten path. One theologian said this, the reason for avoiding these foolish discussions was that they led to progress in the wrong direction. With a twist of irony, Paul stated that the heretics would indeed advance, but only in the direction of ungodliness. He's saying as you view you're coming into contact with them, you you live, you 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 are an authentic representative of the kingdom of God. You know the scriptures. He says you declare the truth and then you leave out from uh, you. You don't take the bait. But then he tells us that we need to understand what is at stake when we're dealing with these individuals. What is at stake when we're dealing with fools, when we're dealing with false teachers? Verses 17 through 19 tell us, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hemenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. What we see here is this dichotomy. We see what happens. What is at stake when we are dealing with these false teachers? Essentially, if we were to sum this up, false teachers present teaching that ultimately leads to life that moves away from God, that focuses on itself and ends with disease and death. How do I know this to be the case? Because these false teachers were putting out this false ideology that the resurrection had already occurred. Now, for us, it's like that don't really I don't understand. Yeah, Jesus did raise. But no, this is not what they're getting at. They're saying that the second resurrection that was supposed to happen for the believers had already come. It still is like that doesn't seem like that makes any sense. It doesn't seem like that'd be a big deal. Well, Paul was uh, had already been introduced to this false teaching before. And we know this because it happened in Corinth. And he talks about the reality that the resurrection is crucial and pivotal to our faith. Without the resurrection being what it is, our faith is in vain. 
what they were getting at was this idea that if the resurrection had already occurred and you already have received everything, then you can live any type of way. This is, this is the train of thought of this false ideology, that if, you have, if the resurrection has already came and you can already live your best life now, it doesn't matter how you live. Now, let's run that out. Because if you can live however you want to live, that means that you don't really need to worry about what the scriptures say. It's already happened. So if you want to have that orgy, you can go ahead and do that. If you want to go on the temples, you can do that. If you want to go and live this type of way, you can. Whatever it was that happened back in those days, you could do it. Because it already happened. You see the lie here? You see what happens when if this was to permeate? If people were to believe it, this is why he says it spreads like gangrene, because it leads to death. False teaching literally pulls you away from God and it gets you to focus on yourself. And the more that you focus on yourself and you're not dependent on God, then what ends up happening is it leads to death. Just recently, I was listening to a pastor who was a prominent African-American uh, pastor who um, was a, a boy preacher, a boy wonder. He preached when he was younger and he blew up. I mean, everybody loves him, went to seminary. And there are some people who say you got to be careful when you go to seminary, because if you go to seminary, sometimes it could end up being a cemetery for your faith. And what ended up happening was for him, uh, this solid preacher back in the day got a little errant. I was just watching a video that was posted where he was talking about there were multiple ways to salvation. That, that we are okay, that we can, in some degree, uh, because we have a love ethic, because we got a love hermeneutic, then that means that you and I uh, should be able to just sit with people as they sin. And it doesn't necessarily matter because at the end of the day, the Lord will do a work on their hearts, but, but we ain't to judge. And so, you know, if they sin in that, we just got to figure out how we can just help mitigate it to some degree. All of you in this room and even on the screen, y'all kind of jostled in your seat. Because let's play that out. Because that means if Jesus is not the only way to heaven, then that means that he lied. And if Jesus is a liar, then that means that all of his commands, we don't have to take them at face value. We can basically take them as suggestions. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But let's keep playing that out. If we continue to allow that to be the case, then that means that we now make our own decisions of what is right and what is wrong. How do we get to salvation? Well, we could take a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and put it together. And then we got this Frankenstein type of faith that somehow, some way, we don't really know how we get to heaven, but we know that our good outweighs our bad. But what kind of security does that give to you? Well, it doesn't. Because now it makes you believe that, man, your best life is best lived now. So now you can do whatever it takes to make self your, yourself happy. But if we can just live with sin and there's no, there's no dealing with sin, then that means that we can live any type of way. But if there's no consequence to sin, then why do we stop? Do you see what's happening? Do you see what is taking place? Because the more that we allow false teaching to happen, you can see how it allows us to be moonwalking away from the very teachings and the very foundation of what Christ stood for. It leads to death. And sometimes what happens is that we don't take the time to play the scenario out that is being presented to us as the truth. Because when we hear a false teacher tell us that the scriptures are not inerrant, then that means that we need to play that out. If the scriptures are not inerrant, then what is the measure of authority that we use to guide our lives? This is important 
But on the flip side, authentic teachers who present the gospel and all of its beauty, it leads to edification and awe of God and dependence on the spirit and Jesus, and it leads to a life everlasting. The enemy wants to distract us. This is the goal. This is why we don't take the bait. That's why you and I don't take the bait. But then secondly, we have to reassess our circles. And I got I to speed through here. We have to reassess our circles. Verses 20 through 21 share this with us. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels. Is everything okay? Um. You, it might not, the internet may still be on. You may have to just cut it off because you are plugged in. It's a little button on the side. Um, but now in a large house, there are not only, it's on the screen, gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some of, for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Did you get it? Okay. Um, here it is. This is what he's saying. Paul uses this illustration to make it clear because this illustration is kind of interesting. He talks about this kitchen with these utensils. Some are really good and some are like dishonorable. And when you, re you read it, you think to yourself, well, maybe he means that these dishonorable tools may become honorable. Like there's an opportunity for this. That's not the point of this particular passage. That is not what he's saying with this particular context. Listen, he, what he's saying that within the church, there are some of those individuals within the church who have been living for the Lord. That they are, they have understood the assignment. We're going to use this illustration to make sense. All of the honorable tools, all of the honorable vessels are on this side. He's saying, but there are a set of vessels that are wood and clay that are used. And these are the things that kind of like are everyday use. They really, you're not going to put them out when you got to find, when you haven't fine dining. But what he ends up telling us in this, in verse 21, is that these are used for dishonorable use. He says, put them aside. What he's getting at and what he's trying to share with Timothy, hang in there with me. This is what he's trying to get them to understand. Within your church, Timothy, there are two types of members. This is tight, but it's right. There are those who are following the Lord. And there are some in the church who ain't. And he says, this is what you need to do. Make sure they don't mix. I know this is tight, but it's right. He's saying, look, he was like, look, and if those who do end up purify them so that they can be used, there is a reality that there are false teachers who are going to be sitting in the pews. And Timothy, as a pastor, you need to know the difference. Because they're in the room. This is what he's saying. God's going to use both. Like he will use the fool who's believing the lie. Like he will use them. It's not going to be to their benefit, but he will use them. But he's like, but there is an assignment for those who have put their faith, hope, and trust. That's why he says, purify yourself because there is a work for you to do. But then there's also something else that's interesting about this. Hang in there with me, I promise. Here's something else that's interesting about this. that, that it, it, I didn't catch it 
until I started reading other theologians from a vogue. This is what I love about Orthodox Christianity. You've got a whole bunch of people who've gone before you who've looked at the same passages of scripture that you've looked at, and they could tell you stuff that maybe you don't see. This is what I love about this. One theologian made a point where he, what he's saying is that God has some work for you and I to do. But if we are allowing ourselves to be taken by these false teachers of dishonorable use, you and I will miss the blessing of following after the Lord in the process. And he says, whoever gets our ears gets our hearts. And this illustration reminds us that we must take into account what we are hearing from those around us. If there's false teaching in the camp, we must root it out. We must be knowledgeable enough to be able to distinguish the difference and, if possible, disassociate from their teaching. This does not mean that we throw people away because we're going to see at the end that Paul's going to tell Timothy, how do you engage with a false teacher? But what he is saying is you need to push them further down your friend group concentric circles. There are some groups, and you know this, you got some friends who are associates at best. When they speak to you and speak about your life, you don't pay them any mind because they way out there in your concentric circles. But there are some of your friends, there are some people that they, when they speak to you, it matters deeply. In fact, when they speak to you, you internalize what it is that they are saying and you literally will make decisions based off of what they say. And what he's getting at here is that we have to be careful about what we are letting in our, in our, in our minds and who is sharing that with us. It matters. For Paul, Timothy was the pastor in the Lord's church, and he wanted to make sure Timothy wasn't doing life with false teachers. And in the church, he was, identif uh, he was identifying and setting them aside. Because if you have a false teacher in your midst speaking falsities in your ear, it can lead to bad decisions. And in turn, it can lead us to destruction. See if I can make it plain. Any Lord of the Ring fans here or online? Okay, see, I knew it was one. I got Kristen in on it about a month ago. Ain't that right? It was about a month ago. Wish she watched. She half in, half out. We watched all three at 24 hours. And, um, and one of the things that's interesting about it, now, you know, they're three hours each. So it's three of them, three hours. Don't. The Hobbits is not that uh, not the conversation from that day. But listen, so there's this one particular story that 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 captures this point clearly. There's a moment in which um, the we're going to call them, for lack of a better term, our heroes in the story are going to this kingdom. They're trying to get the ear of this king. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And they walk in and they notice that this king is like slumped over. He looks horrible. I mean, he looks like he is like one minute away from death and he's not talking he's kind of like growling he don't really he's not even really human almost and you're like what is happening and of course his daughter or his cousin can't remember how the story goes but but they meet them out there and they say there's a problem with my father this guy who's supposed to be the second and his right hand man is corrupt and he's been speaking stuff to him so much so that it has literally corrupted him. And the more that they tried to reason with this guy, they couldn't get to him or through to him because of the person that was right next to him whispering in his ear. It wasn't until they dealt with that guy that the king came back. And I love how it was. It was beautiful how they put this together because the moment that they were able to remove the false teacher 
It was almost as if life got breathed back into this king, where they were moments from destruction, but when they moved that false teacher out of the way, life was maybe able to be come back to come back into this king, where he was able to make sound decisions. He was able to be able to do what was necessary to save the people. Who you have in your life, it matters. And what he's getting at is that we got to be careful. My job for you is to ward off what's happening here. But here's the reality for you. You got to do the same thing as well. That y'all are doing life with people who don't believe what you believe. And they saying all type of stuff. And these are people who you trust. These are people who you love. These are people who you have allowed to be close to you. And we got to be careful. We don't write people off because we know the power of the spirit can move, but we need to disassociate to some degree with some people. Some people got to get pushed down the line. Because what's happening is that sometimes, even though it may not seem like it's so offensive, but the, the subtlety of false teaching can literally cool you off. But third and finally... It's tough sledding, man. It's tough sledding. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get there, but it's just like I gotta take my time with this because this is, I've watched too many people leave the faith from the steady drip of false teaching. I've watched people who love Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and spirit walk away from the faith years later because of some of the stuff that Paul was telling Timothy. Good friends, people who I loved, who are now staunch enemies of the cross. And I don't want that for you. The third thing is to remember the rules of engagement. Here's the reality. False teachers ain't going nowhere. In fact, you're going to see more of them. There's going to be more false ideologies that's going to creep. There's going to be more people who believe that crap. And there's going to be more people who are going to be spouting this crap. And there's going to be reality that you can't put your head in the sand. You can disassociate with these people, but there are going to be moments where you have to engage with them. But how you engage with them, it matters. And it mattered to Timothy as well. Paul wanted him to see these things. Real quickly, I want to give them to you, and then I'm out of your hair. First thing that he says is flee youthful desires. This is not in this context talking about this idea that you and I are to just flee sexual sin. We already know that. That is, you know that. But in its context, what he's talking about is this youthful desire to respond when someone goes low. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm going to give you all of them up here for free just so that you can write them down. He's saying you got to mature in your conduct. I know the youthfulness, the youthful desire of you is when they go low, you go to the floor. Or some of some people that I know, they say, if you go low, I'm going to hell. I'm like, that don't even make sense as a follower of Jesus Christ. Does not don't make. But what that's a youthful desire. The tick for tactness. Quick example. I mean, Christian, remember this? I was interacting with a, a black Hebrew Israelite and one of their tactics and one of their ploys to jostle Christians, especially if they are, quote unquote, losing the argument is to get real personal. They'll start hitting below the belt, so to speak, because they want you to act out of character because if they can get you angry, then they can get you not thinking because when you're angry, you don't really think clearly. Now they can get you in a trap. In a lot of ways, when you're dealing with false teaching, it might be it might be expected that there may be an opportunity for someone to go low. But that doesn't mean that you match them. Saying control your conduct. But then secondly, he says, pursue the things that matter. 
I love what one theologian wrote, so I just want to read you exactly what he said because I can't say it better than anything else. The passage tells us to flee youthful passions, but then it says pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who are called on the Lord from a pure heart. Here what he says. He says, righteousness is an open rectitude in action and attitude. He was to show faith, a sincere confidence in the Lord, and love, a growing affection for others. <clears throat> he was to seek peace, a genuine fellowship in harmony with other Christians. His statement implies that the traits of faith, love, whole, uh, faith, righteousness, faith, love, and peace are best displayed whenever a Christian stays in company with other believers. What is he getting at? This is what he's saying. When you come and you engage with these people, he's saying that there's a way that in which that you should come. Uh, if you you can disarm an angry person by being nice, you can disarm a person who is trying to come at you by being Christ-like, of extending love, of being patient. I know we don't like this. Because now you feel like you're a flunky. You feel like, man, I'm about to endure some things. But it's funny that Paul starts talking about the idea of dealing with false teachers on the tail end of talking about the idea that you will suffer. You want to respond a certain way, but he's saying, no, I don't respond like that. It scrambles the enemy. He says discernment is necessary. He says in verse 23, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but be a gentle to everyone, able to teach and be impatient. Discernment is necessary. There are some conversations that are conducive for fruitful dialogue, and there are some conversations that you know ain't going to lead to nothing. You need to know how to navigate that. There are going to be some people that you can talk to. They may just, they might have been just swooped up into some of the false teaching. It ain't that they really understand it. They just, it just sounds good for them in the moment. So you may be able to have fruitful dialogue with them, but there are some people who are going to be hardened jerks. You're not going to be able to have a conversation with them. And he's saying you got to have discernment. There, there's a, there is a necessity for spirit-led discernment. So we have to pick our battles wisely. Of course, be Christ-like. How we show up to these conversations matter. If your posture is that of Christ-likeness, you will potentially be able to win people over because of the way that you, you conduct yourself in those conversations, more so than what you say. But be hopeful in the spirit that the spirit will work. This is the last thing that he says. That in all of these, as you're dealing with these individuals, be hopeful that the spirit will work. Sometimes we go into these conversations and we think these people will never change. But here's the reality. We all were enemies of the cross at one point. And the spirit did a work on you to open up your eyes for you to be able to respond in faith, open up your ears so that you can hear the gospel message. And so as we engage with these individuals who may have differing thoughts, especially those of false ideologies, yeah, we are staunch defenders of our faith, but we do so with a conduct that is Christ-like, but at the same time, we hold out hope. Spirit of the living God, before I have this conversation with this individual, I pray that you would soften their hearts to hear what I have to say, that they would be able to receive the love that I'm going to demonstrate to them, even when I know that they may say things that hurt me. I pray that the whole package that I present to them, not just what I say, but how I conduct myself in this would be a, um, an apologetic for them that would literally open their eyes to be able to respond in faith. This is what he says. There are going to be some people in your church who will fall prey to these false teachings 
but how you conduct yourselves and how you address them, they might get saved. I know I, I wish I had a fancy thing to just share with you, but this is the reality. That this is how we have to navigate because we never know what God may do with us in some of these hostile situations. I close with this. There is a lady by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, she wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with the House Key. She's a very interesting individual. Before she became a follower of Jesus Christ, she was a staunch enemy of the cross. Many of you probably know the story of Rosaria Butterfield. She talks about it a lot. Um, she hated the church. In fact, she was really good at like, like really just cutting at the church in a lot of ways. There was one event where the navigators had came into her city and she wrote the scathing article and like basically eviscerated them. They could not respond right. They were literally scared when Rosaria Butterfield would like, you know, get on their radar because they knew she was coming. And they were kind of shook in this area where she lived at. And uh, there happened to be this one pastor who just said, you know what? I think I know how to deal with her. And what he ended up doing, he and his wife, they invited her to dinner. Her and her girlfriend, they went to dinner with her. And Rosaria talks about this story. It's a true story. She comes with all of the venom. She had all of her points, her sub points, her sub points from her sub points. She was ready to like just straight go to work on this pastor. But this pastor just sat quietly, as she would say, and listened to her as she would share all of this stuff. And whenever there would be a false teaching, he would kind of gently just come in and just correct it, but then allow her the, the opportunity to just continue to just go. And then after that dinner, he invited her again, and she did it again. And he kept inviting her out over and over and over again. And the way that he did this, the way that he loved on her well, the way that he was stood for truth, but the way that he winsomely went about it, the Lord did a work in her heart. And she shares the story that she ended up becoming a follower of Jesus Christ because of the hospitality that this gentleman and his wife had demonstrated to her. That was the strongest apologetic to a person who was antithetical to everything that Christianity stood for. And now she's a staunch um, a proponent of Christianity for the world. And it happened because of her conduct towards them. And the same reality is for you. You will deal with people who don't believe what you believe. There are going to be people who are going to share things that are going to make you upset. There are going to be things that are going to happen to you because you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are going to want to respond in a way that is not Christ-like. Brother and sister, hear me. The strongest apologetic that we have is not so much how much we know, but how we show up in those moments when we are hurt the most. It matters. It matters. Let's go before the Lord and let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, one of the hardest things to navigate is how we, uh, is, is messages like this, because I know that it comes with so many emotions and it, it comes with so much um, um, frustration. Some of us have been on recipients of hearing this or seeing how false teaching has really just divided a family, divided churches. And so Lord, I pray that you would remind us like Paul did to Timothy, that our conduct and how we navigate these situations did matter. And so, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to fall in love with your scriptures, your word, that we would be those who would uh, be lovers of the scriptures, lovers of the book, that we would know what it says so that we can defend our faith. But that at the same time, Lord, we would be individuals who would live our faith out because it matters. Lord, I'm praying that you would give us discernment to know uh, those individuals in our space that we need to fall back from. 
that we would make sure that we are centering our lives around Christian community to help us grow uh, in our faith, but at the same time to help us so that we would be strengthened in those uh, opportunities that we have and interactions with people of um, who may who may have differing views that we have. Lord, in all of these things, when we engage in hostile conversations or conversations that may not uh, necessarily go our way, Lord, I pray that we that the end goal would not be to win arguments, but it will be to live and to present the gospel in such a way that people would respond in faith. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be reminded that we all were at once enemies of the cross, but because of the, this amazing gospel message that Jesus Christ died in our place and for our sins, that we can stand as brothers and sisters in faith, uh, knowing that the power of, of the gospel works. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be hopeful that even as we interact in these conversations, and they may not necessarily go the way we intend, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded that seeds were planted. So Lord, I pray that lives will be changed and souls will be saved because we showed up and we defended our faith well, but we also loved well. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and thanks. Amen. And